You are listening to a conservative review production. Trust, but verify. You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to another episode of The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Thanks for joining us again this Friday. My co-host, Joe Koss, is out, unfortunately. He's celebrating Good Friday today, so hope he has a good rest, good weekend with his family. He certainly needs the time, and we all do at Conservative Review. We're all busy. It's been It's been a long, tough week. Wow. I mean, you look at all the individual events together, when you put them together in totality— both on an international level and national level, the stuff going on with elections, we've got a huge problem here. And I I sense that's why we have a revolution going on uh, in the electorate. Unfortunately, the people that are chosen by the electorate don't always match up with the rationale behind the revolution, as we noted during the last couple of podcasts and some of my radio shows. But in today's show, I'd like to move a little bit beyond the elections and, and, and talk about some of the stuff that has gone on this week which embodies why people are so angry, reflects the anger, it reflects the sense of hopelessness, it reflects what I feel is the undercurrent of why so many people are are so angry, and that is our stolen sovereignty. The title of my new upcoming book, you could pre-order at Amazon.com, it is coming out in July, Stolen Sovereignty, We No Longer Determine Our Own Destiny. All the major social, political questions, international questions are being decided by the unelected branches of government, or if they are being decided by our elected president, and this will probably be the title of this podcast, a president who is an enemy within and a Congress that is complacent. So let's let's unpack what happened this week. We have a president who went down to Cuba for the first time in decades, established relations with Castro went out and had a great time with him and you know went to baseball games with him literally went out there and said that America has a lot to learn from the improvement in in freedom and civil liberties in Cuba you cannot make this stuff up you look at what he's doing with Iran then you look at the Brussels terror attack and Obama's lack of response and the lack of initiative to ensure that America doesn't continue to become like Europe, like Belgium and France. The immigration issues, which we'll get into uh, further on in this podcast. You look at all of this in totality, and you have to ask yourself a question, do we have an enemy within? We've moved beyond the point of merely having a president who eh, doesn't necessarily share all of our values, or he's weak, he wants to appease our enemies. This is a president who sides with our enemies. He has downright formed an alliance with our enemies. And you know, you just look at his own words. You look at the LA Times op-ed he, he published uh, about a year ago where he said that the Islamists have valid grievances. He disagrees with their tactics. It's funny. I remember uh, two years back, almost two years now, the last flare-up between Hamas and Israel – 
when Obama went out there and said Hamas acted irresponsibly, almost like they should be placed on administrative duty. They they were a little bit too irresponsible. I mean, it killed a, you know maybe a couple too uh, too many uh, civilians there, but but their underlying cause he believes is valid and even righteous. And 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 therein lies the problem. We have a president who is siding with the Islamists. He's siding with Iran. He's siding with the Cuban regime. And yet Congress is completely out to lunch. Uh, if you noticed, I know, I know many of you listen to me, you read some of my articles because you want to know what's going on in Congress, you know, specifically the legislative beats that I cover. I've been, you know, talking more about the elections, the courts. Uh, frankly, there there hasn't been a lot going on in Congress because they're not doing anything. And the few things they do are terrible. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of that today, the jailbreak, what they call criminal justice reform legislation. So Congress is out to lunch, but, you know, let's just dial this back a little bit and drill down to, again, what Obama has done and not done. You know, you you put together Cuba, Iran, and then the Belgium attacks this week, and it paints a picture of a president who is ransoming off our future to our enemies. He is violating our sovereignty as a nation, starting with Cuba. You know, I've spoken about this before, and I have an article up we'll put in our show notes about Raul Castro's new weapon against us, and that's the weapon of immigration. You know, you hear a lot about the Central American flood of immigrants to our southern border. You hear a lot about, you know, our discussion, certainly a conservative review with regards to the explosion of Muslim immigration to America and other Western nations. But right now, you have 8,000 Cubans were caught at the southern border. And we expect probably up to 60,000, 70,000 this year. And, and even last year was close to 30,000, a huge explosion. So in addition to the, all the other illegal immigrants from Latin America, you have this huge surge in Cuban migration. Now, here's the thing about Cuban migration. You want to talk about a nation that has no sovereignty, how we're being fleeced by other nations and we have no ability to stop it. In, in 1966, Congress passed what is known as the Cuban Adjustment Act, and it gave Cubans preferential treatment in two ways. Number one, there is essentially no such thing as an illegal immigrant from Cuba. If they can make it here, they are deemed legal. Um, that was part of their arrangement. And, and at the time, it kind of made sense. That was used as a weapon against Castro. It was a weapon against communism. It was, it was you know, people were coming here for freedom, and certainly you see from that generation of Cubans um, you know, Ted Cruz's dad is one of them, Rafael Cruz. You saw a lot of freedom-loving individuals, and Cubans became known, notorious, for being pretty much the only immigrant group that actually voted Republican. But then things started to change, and as our entire immigration system changed, uh, you know, like every other group, they started to come for economic reasons, just, you know, to come and, and feast on our welfare state. So the two changes, again, number one, all Cubans are entitled to legal status. Number two, they are immediately entitled to the panoply of welfare programs. Most immigrants have to wait five years. I mean, often they don't for various reasons. There's a lot of loopholes around that. But legally, they have to wait. Cubans do not. So what what Raul Castro is doing is he's using this as a weapon to extract even more concessions from the Obama administration, who's all but willing to give them everything. Again, this is not just opening up trade. We are giving them everything the same way we're giving into Iran. And and one of the things he does is says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send more immigrants your way to flood your border. And he's using our own kindness, our own laws against us. And 
it's gotten so bad. There was a Florida Sun Sentinel expose a couple months ago exposing this nonsense, showing how it's gotten to the point where people are coming here to get welfare checks and they'll go back home to Cuba. (laughs) So we're actually mailing them checks to their home country of Cuba, um, welfare checks. And, you know, this extortion has got to stop. So the Obama administration obviously is encouraging this. They're certainly doing nothing to stop it. And again, we ask the question, where is Congress? Congress can immediately get rid of the Cuban Adjustment Act. They could immediately pass Representative Paul Gosar's bill. He's a congressman from from Arizona, one of the few good conservatives there, to repeal this. It has become outdated. Uh, and, and even many, you know, big advocates for for the Cuban community, they admit that whereas in in the '60s our open immigration to Cuba was a good thing, it was a tool that was helping these people. Now, ironically, it's come full circle and it's being used as a tool to prop up the Castro uh, administration, uh, the regime, and give them more leverage over America, and it's not helping them because, again, the more they stay entrenched in power, the worse it is for you know the liberties and the well-being of the people of Cuba itself. So we do them no favors. We certainly do ourselves no favors, and that is really, at its core, the first and, and, and foremost job of a, of a representative to protect the American people. And our sovereignty is being violated. We are being fleeced fiscally. Um, with, with this game, it has got to be shut down. But again, Congress is nowhere to be seen. You move on to the next issue. You move on to Iran. There are a lot, a lot of reports this week. You have a new AP article out explaining how, as we predicted, Obama's alliance that he has forged with Iran has moved way beyond simply the nuclear deal or you know, allowing them to enjoy sanctions relief in return for this phony inspection regime. Obama is now allowing them to conduct ICBM uh, tests. He's allowing them to capture our ships and humiliate our seamen with no recourse. It's almost as if it was part of the deal. And, And John Kerry even praised them for treating them so nicely. And then, you know, there's word this week that Obama is now paying them ransom, literally. So if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, they finally released a couple of the prisoners, and then lo and behold, we see we made $1.7 billion in payments to Iran. Now, the administration tried to say it was part of some deal, some dispute over, over frozen assets going back to 1979, but that was nonsense, and, and Representative Pompeo from Kansas wrote a letter to the State Department, demanded action on it, demanded to know what is going on. Is this a ransom? They stonewalled for, for several months. Finally, it came out this week. Indeed, it was a ransom payment, and guess what? There is more to come. So in addition to the $150 billion, you know, he's just loading them up with money. This is not just appeasement. This is an alliance. Just like Obama's formed an alliance with Cuba, he's formed an alliance with the Iranian regime. Again, where is Congress? Where's the budget bills? Where's the standalone legislation to prohibit any more payments to Iran? You don't see it. These are 
no-brainer slam dunk political issues as well. They are so easy to message, so easy to tell the American people that Obama is saddling up to our enemies. We will not take this anymore. We will not ransom our future, our security, our our, our fiscal solvency to the Cuban regime, to the Iranian regime. But again, they're silent. Let's move on to the next issue. Guantanamo Bay. You know, yesterday before a House Foreign Affairs Committee, a Defense Department official testified, basically admitting that terrorists who have been let out of Guantanamo Bay by the Obama administration have gone on to kill Americans. He didn't go into the details because it was a public hearing. It wasn't closed, but he he admitted it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, blithely, yeah, you know, uh, Americans were killed because we let out terrorists from Guantanamo. Where is Congress? All of these things we brought up fall under the category of how could you let these things stand for even one day if Republicans have control of Congress? Where are they? What are they doing? It makes no sense. And you know, I know some people will say, well, Congress has stuck in some authorization bills and some provisions in the budget bills where they prohibited Obama from transferring the Gitmo de- de- detainees to America. That is true. But they haven't prevented him from releasing them to Arab countries like Oman and, and Yemen, where they've gone on to, you know, not surprisingly escape. <laughs> I mean, having the fox guard the hen house there and then actually go on to fight on the battlefield for Al Qaeda, for ISIS, for whatever else. And, and there have been known American soldiers, American civilians that have been killed overseas by these individual terrorists who are let go. Obama has reduced the... Gitmo population by about two-thirds, and my understanding is there's about 36 more in the pipeline to be released. Where is Congress? Where is the legislation preventing them, preventing this administration from releasing a anyone else until the end of the Obama administration? I mean, look, <laughs> this is not so hard to message to the public. You just play over and over the clips of Obama's DOD official saying, admitting that Americans have been killed by these releases. What is so hard? And finally, the fourth issue we'll move on to is the Belgium attacks. I mean, everyone kind of saw that juxtaposition, the powerful imagery of this president going to a baseball game, doing the wave, looking like a complete fool, playing around with with Castro there at a Cuban baseball game during the Bel- um, Belgium ter- terror attacks, and coming, refusing to come back, refusing to do anything. And you know, I'm not going to belabor this issue. We have plenty of writings in our previous podcast about the immigration issue, but the Belgium terror attacks. The lesson coming out of there is not so much foreign policy, ISIS, boots on the ground in Syria. It's preventing their boots from getting on our ground, and that starts with immigration policy. The failure of Belgium, it's funny, it's, it's kind of going on, go, going around the, the web, the, the quote in the New York Times that Belgium is the wealthiest failed state. <laughs> what they mean by that is, you know, it's pretty wealthy economically, but they have flooded their country with Muslim immigrants. And as we said, you know, my fans, you all know, I use this line pretty often, numbers matter in immigration. Numbers definitely matter. The more you have, the more they don't assimilate, and the more it cultivates this climate of Sharia adherence, of suspicion and and, uh, recalcitrance to, to join the American family, the American common cause. And especially with the successful cyber jihad promoted by Al-Qaeda and, and ISIS, 
they get roped into it. We see American Muslims being arrested on a daily, weekly basis over the past few months, uh, trying to join up with ISIS or another terror group, Al-Shabaab. We have the problems with the Minneapolis community. We had our own San Bernardino attacks. This is a problem in America. You know, my my article from a couple months ago that I put out after the Paris attacks have gone has gone viral throughout the web and on talk radio. We have brought in six hundred eighty thousand Muslim immigrants in just five years. That is more. That is greater than the entire Muslim population of Belgium, and Belgium has become an Islamic cesspool. So where does that leave us? You know, a lot of people will you know toss your way this pseudo uh, compassion card. Where's the compassion in tolerating those who are intolerant under the guise of tolerance and creating a climate of fear in your own country? You know, uh, just earlier this week was a Jewish holiday, and Belgian officials announced that they would not be able to hold these public parades that that, that Jews usually have on Purim there in, 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 in Brussels. They had to just kind of celebrate underground. Why? Because they're scared of the Muslim population. Let me ask you, where is the tolerance in that? Where is the tolerance when you come so far over on the spectrum of political correctness and multiculturalism that you bring in people that, well, don't respect multiculturalism and you know Jews can no longer live freely? The, the chief rabbi of Belgium said after the Paris attacks, that, you know, especially with the entire connection from Belgium, that there is no future for Jews in Belgium. Do we want America to look like that? I mean, that, that's a fair question, because under our current trajectory where the Muslim population is going to double, this is where we're headed. I mean, this is where we are headed. So, again, where is Congress? Where is the legislation clamp- shutting off refugee resettlement until this ends? Where is true immigration reform? Where, where are we looking at the Muslim Brotherhood? It is nowhere to be seen. Congress is doing nothing you know, in response to the Belgium terror attacks on, on the immigration national security front, doing nothing to prevent Obama's alliance from f- cementing with, with Iran, preventing his alliance with Cuba and the fleecing of America with the Cuban government insidiously sending thousands of immigrants here who will absolutely become legalized immediately, are, uh, have the ability to secure welfare immediately, and within five, seven years could become U.S. citizens and actually vote in our election. Think about that stolen sovereignty and disenfranchisement of the American people. This, at its core, is the discussion, the long-form discussion I have in my book, Stolen Sovereignty, about immigration, the courts, religious liberty, the the right to self-governance, really going through our entire history of our system of government, the history of our immigration system. Um, I really mean a lot to me if you guys could pre-order. It's selling for about $19 on Amazon.com right now, Stolen Sovereignty, How to Prevent the Courts from Transforming America. But, you know, again, that's that social transformation begins and ends with Congress. Congress has is supposed to be working with us. Where are they? <laughs> they are our representatives, and they're out to lunch. And, you know, again, notice all of these policies, these victories on the international level Obama has secured have taken place after the 2014 midterm elections when the Republicans took back the Senate. Where are they? And you don't see anything. What are they focusing on? And, you know, let me address another point. A lot of people are going to ask, well, Daniel, you know, even if they did, doesn't Obama have veto power? And they've already given up the power of the purse and you don't have a budget bill until September 30th. So what do you what exactly are you going to do here? I mean, 
It means something to actually fight and harness public attention. Obama's numbers are going up because no one litigates this case to the public. No one takes this to the public. The Democrats will pound the lectern and then they'll pound away and seize the righteous indignation. Where are the Republicans on their issues? You know, even when the I've noticed this that I've noted this in a lot of my writings, even when the Republicans will be forced because you know, due to pressure from the base, to actually pass a good bill. They'll do so quietly. They won't message it. They won't tell their members to go back to their respective districts and and states and actually make this a big issue, do media on it, have the NRCC, NRSC, their RNC run ads against vulnerable Senate Democrats, House Democrats on these issues. Could you imagine if you had ads showing them flooding the country with Islamic immigrants, showing Obama paying ransom to Iran, showing Obama working with Castro to to disenfranchise us and, and praising Castro for civil rights? Uh, could you imagine ads showing the clip of that Obama administration official who downright admitted to releasing terrorists from Guantanamo Bay who went on to kill American citizens. This is not hard. You could pass legislation where you go on every Sunday show and you message it. You seize the righteous indignation. Americans actually could see that you mean it. You stand for something. You're not just posturing, which Republicans usually do, even when they're doing something that we, we agree with. But no, there is nothing there, nothing left. What are they focusing on? Well, criminal justice reform. The one thing, you know, Paul Ryan gave his major policy speech about, you know, kind of directed at at Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. And uh, the one thing he wanted to focus on is criminal justice reform. And he said that is absolutely what they're going to push in the the coming weeks. Congress is on vacation right now. But when they come back in April, that's pretty much the first thing he's going to push. We call it jailbreak legislation at Conservative Review. This is, think about it, we mentioned four systemic violations of our sovereignty, ransoming out America's national security, and Republicans are rewarding that behavior. Not only aren't they fighting it, they're rewarding that behavior by their willingness to pass Obama's prize legislation, his number one priority for the remainder of his presidency, and that's to reduce the prison population as much as possible and let out violent drug offenders, which, as we've noted many times, those convicted for drug trafficking are not just drug offenders. They they have done a lot of other violent things that just usually they're convicted for drug offenses because it's easier to prosecute them on that than, than other offenses. So this is a huge problem. It is being pushed by the, the SEIU and the AFL-CIO and La Raza. It's being pushed by the ACLU. And yet you have the entire Republican apparatus spend, expending the rest of their political capital for the remainder of the year. The only piece of legislation they will focus on is the most far-left, destructive issue that will fuel this rise in crime we've been seeing across the country. This is the sorry state of our politics. We have, on the one hand, a president who is a Manchurian president, a president who is an enemy within, and then on the other hand, you have a Congress that is completely complacent, and they are downright peddling Obama's agenda. And again, I always get back to this. This is why you see this huge revolution taking place in this electorate. But again, the question is, do we have a French revolution rooted not in constitutionalism, but in chaos and often the same power pursuit 
and elitism that we hate with the establishment, are we going to get that with a Donald Trump or the American Revolution rooted in constitutionalism, sovereignty, freedom, liberty, unalienable rights as expressed and as reflected in the campaign of Ted Cruz? And this is what we're going to see in the coming week. Obviously, you got Wisconsin coming up. Cruz finally has somewhat of a two-man race, but you know you got John Kasich there gumming up the works. So we're going to be on top of that. We've covered a lot of topics here. I'm going to try to post some of these links. I'm going to have some follow-up articles coming up this week. And again, remember, as always, to sign up for levintv.com. You're not going to want to miss the one voice of sanity you see on TV. It's a really great I mean, it's probably the best value I've ever seen. No commercials. You get Mark Levin five nights a week on TV. It's really, it's it's a very serious show, very informative. I always learn new things every night. Please sign up, levintv.com. And again, once again, please pre-order my book, Stolen Sovereignty at amazon.com. Thanks as always for listening. Next week, I'll have my sidekick, Joe Koss, back. But until then... This is The Conservative Conscience.